And we're back with another episode of The Geek Whisperers. I'm John Mark Troyer. And I'm Amy Lewis. And I'm Matt Broberg. We're here with a great guest this week. Uh, Really pleased to have an old, uh, as the kids say these days, friend of the pod with us. And we're also back to another uh, topic. Kids, John. That's what the kids are saying. They're calling them, we, we've got to get you out of the Bay Area. <laughs> For God's they're, sake, please. <laughs> they're calling them pods. Anyway, our topic today uh, is a little bit of a mixed bag. We're going to talk about evangelism. We're going to talk about kind of what that might be morphing into. And we're going to talk about taking a break and protecting yourself. Um, but our guest today, without uh, uh, me talking longer, is a friend of the pod, Nick Howell. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's good to be here with you guys. <laughs> so, Nick, uh, I've known you for uh, many, many years yes, uh, in a number of different roles in the industry as uh, we've both grown up together in uh, in this kind of uh, tech, high-tech, enterprise tech in, uh, industry. But a couple of your roles have been um, labeled in the neighborhood of evangelism or evangelist. Yes. So one of the things we wanted to explore today is another take on what is the role of an evangelist in a startup or in a big company and kind of what is the what is the ostensible role? What is the real purpose behind it? What actually what function are you doing? Yeah. And probably I don't know, Amy. We'll probably talk about org charts. Yeah, I do like a good org chart conversation. <laughs> it's been a while. Well, I don't know. And so Matt and Amy, I mean, we've talked about this a couple times. I mean, is there anything new? I mean, what what kinds of some new stuff that we're looking at this this time? Well, I think we're going to come at it from uh, an interesting angle, given Nick's background uh, in more the the sales and engineering side. I don't know, um, Nick, if you describe yourself that way, but I always thought that you could do either one and you choose to do them in a slightly different way uh, when it comes to evangelism, as opposed to the evangelist that's really deep in the, the product or marketing side of it, if you will. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an interesting genesis that and um, this evolution that happens when you join a vendor coming from the the, t- the tech community as an admin or a generalist of sorts. Um, basically, you come in, and and one of my former bosses used to describe it as the two knobs, uh, which was technical and marketing. And when you first come in, your tech knob is all the way at a hundred, and your marketing is a zero. But the more time you spend at a vendor, those tend to go in opposite directions, right? So there's this nice fifty-fifty sweet spot that makes the perfect tech marketing engineer. He can speak well, he can present well, he can talk through, he can talk tech or he can talk high level. Um, So there's this thing that happens though, that when you begin to get to that point, you begin to do a little bit more of the public outreach kind of stuff. So you're blogging, you're on social media, you're uh, maybe starting a podcast on Mm -hmm. TalkShoe or something else, right? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, as those things continue to evolve, you kind of find that you get your hands on gear less and less and your tech knobs keeps going down, but your marketing knob keeps going back up, but you're honing skills that still allow you to grab onto some of those things. So that's where a lot of it, you know, it starts as a purely technical sort of thing, but you carry this street cred forward in your, you know, furthering of your career in your marketing role. So, Hey, Nick, you already used one new term, technical marketing engineer, and I introduced us as a evangelist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is there a difference in what we just talked about? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There didn't used to be, there is today. I think, I mean, 10 years ago, nobody used the word evangelist that I, that I knew of. Right. Um, no, I think that was a. I think it is a new role. I think it's a role that evolves hey, sort of between. I, I don't necessarily one data point. Right. I don't necessarily agree. Uh, I think the the term was actually coined by uh, Guy Kawasaki for Apple back in the day. Mm. 
So the term has been around for a while, but maybe not in kind of this enterprise neck of the woods. Yeah. That's is, is that before people talked about the pod? <laughs> that is before people talked about <laughs> friend of the pods. Pre-podding. Pre-pod. Yeah. Um, well, a inter- couple of interesting things that I can point out that happened to me. Um, there, there was one kind of pinpoint that I can you know, put on the calendar. Um, I used to work at NetApp with Vaughn Stewart. And when Vaughn decided to leave to go to Pure, Vaughn at the time was kind of, you know, at least from the community standpoint, the technical community standpoint, was a sort of the face of NetApp at that time, especially in our VMware sort of tight-knit community that we had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. When he left, we were all looking around and going, oh, okay, well, who's going to do that stuff now? And as I was looking around, everybody was kind of looking at me, and I, in a weird way, kind of went, uh, okay, I-, I guess. Right. We've had actually Vaughn on the pod, on the pod, um, and we'll, we'll we'll link to it in the show notes. But Vaughn talked about his journey of being this, getting this label of evangelist, and then, you know, maybe for some reasons that are kind of related to what we're talking about here, or we're about to talk about, is he, yep. you know, he felt like, ugh, you know, that's a that's a weird hat to wear because um, it's a weird party hat that everyone looks at you funny. So well, that- I think Nick. Nick brings up a good point that maybe we talked about this as face of a company. It was intangible. It wasn't a formal role or spokesperson. If somebody got, if PR got their clutches into you, right. You could become a corporate spokesperson, go through media training, et cetera. Yeah. But I feel like the sort of standardizing the role and people being asked to fill the role or job descriptions, having that was a fairly new construct. So it took something that was somewhat organic, maybe and then slapped a label on it and people went hunting either for those roles and companies maybe went hunting for those people. Now, to be clear, it was never a role. It was something that we did on the side or it was something that we enjoyed doing enough as a hobby in addition to our quote unquote day job sitting in our cubicles writing how-to documentation or presentations. It was a lifestyle like choice. That. Yeah, a lifestyle <laughs> choice, absolutely. Um, but you voluntarily participated in social media you voluntarily wrote blog posts and over time it it would evolve into like you mentioned with pr hey can we get nick to write this blog post it's so as i moved more and more away from actual tech day job kinds of things we started up the netapp podcast we started writing more blogs we started writing more tech on tap articles things like that where again it just perpetuated this vision that um you know let's put nick out there let's put nick out there um, you know, ultimately well, led to the demise, but we'll, we'll leave that for another conversation. But, you know, so Nick, yeah. do you, do you think that there's one perception of what an evangelist is and then what kind of maybe what the reality is, is slightly sure. different? I, I completely agree with that. Yes. I think there's there uh, back in the old days, five years ago, uh, <laughs> yeah. there was this perception that an evangelist was someone who was just active in the community in certain ways, was a recognized figure that carried, you know, some some street cred and battle scars of working in tech, uh, maybe before they joined the vendor. They were the blogger cores, the guy, those of us that came through the ranks uh, of tech and then joined the vendors as bloggers. Those were kind of your natural evangelists. Sure, sure. But now, or or what the what's the reality at this point? The reality is, over the last two to three years, as we've finagled around, and you guys have danced around this quite a bit on this show uh, about where do you put them, and you hear Amy <laughs> talking about org charting them, um, and I, I love all of those conversations because the the answer that I've come up with, I haven't really heard anybody say specifically yet, but I hear a lot of people want to tie them to marketing, but the right place is sales. 
and there's several reasons for that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the first one. Well, let's yeah, go for it. Let's back up just a second there because I think that's a really interesting concept. I'm still chewing a little bit on um, if if the downfall of the evangelist role, and I will go so far as to say that because I probably have said it already. Um, you have is that in some ways, yeah, about that. Um, I feel like it was, it, it's almost a false construct. I like how you put that it used to be something that someone maybe built up to. And it was a lifestyle choice. And it was something you didn't necessarily get more pay for. Um, that, in some ways, makes it fit more naturally in marketing. Because we don't get paid more to do anything. Um, sales, <laughs> on the other hand, gets paid more to do more things. Um, so it's sort of an interesting concept that when it emerges out of a sales function you have to assume you're carrying a quota and you have to assume that that sort of public face somehow lets you close deals that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Very similar to bringing um, somebody C-level in the room. In theory, and again, we can have that debate another day. Does someone C-level coming into a sales call help or hinder? <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> but we'll park that for now. Um, that, that's a great point. I think we can come, actually come back to that one after we talk about the next little thing because that is totally the point what you're what you just brought up mm. where i think they truly belong is is in the sales org because they bring the technical credibility that it, there is this thing that happens when an executive walks into the room with the the sport coat on and the and the fancy suit and all that stuff that is not part of the sales team they kind of have this purpose and executives i'm apologizing in advance if you take offense to this it's not meant to be looking down but this is perception perception is reality um, it, there is a thing, oh God, here's this executive. We've got to listen to his vision pitch again for the next, what their three to five year vision is. And we don't really care. We're here to solve problems. We don't, we don't really want to hear this, this stuff. Now, if you, if you replace the executive with somebody that can do both, that's where that starts to get really interesting. And you think of people that are great presenters that have the technical background that are also good speakers, maybe taking some power speaking courses, et cetera, are good with presentations. All that stuff starts to come into play. Well, what if you put these guys on the road, put them into road shows and just had them travel around or not necessarily carry a number or cover a region, uh, but maybe a specific, specific product vertical, sure, in a larger company. But mm -hmm. you now have these guys that are, um, call them the gunslingers, the deal closers that are going around uh, as closers behind the, the sales interactions with your account execs and your sales exec, sales engineers that are coming in to kind of close the deal. Uh, maybe they do carry a bit of an executive presence, but at the same time, they, uh, they are helping close that deal. Hmm. Oh, I'm That's struggling so... with this one, gang. Hmm. Like, hmm. I, I'm, well, I'm struggling in a couple ways. Where uh, Well, we started by talking about how uh, in the NetUp role you had, Nick, you weren't actually, like your title was not evangelist, your role was not evangelist, but you're doing the evangelist thing, and that was a pain point for you. Can totally see that we've we've dealt with the doing more and not necessarily benefiting from doing more in an organization that's really structured problem before, um, and then this other thing of you know this gunslinger salesperson that doesn't carry a quota that sounds like a really nice fantasy that nobody is going to sign up for necessarily. Like uh, the people that I know that are evangelists that are in sales, they are either in sales with a quota with accounts or they're helping sales in marketing because not carrying a quota and being attached to helping close a business is a marketing function. Enter the field CTO. Hmm. Okay. 
Okay, um, field this CTO. Is, yeah. This is this is a somewhat new role. It's been around for a while. I think EMC were the first ones to really use them in mass. I think they divided them up for different uh, product verticals. Uh, they had a field CTO for you know, Clarion and one for VMAX and one for Smith. They had those guys out there, but basically they were there to be that kind of middleman between corporate and the field. But at mm-hmm. the same time, where their primary duty was to assist getting deals closed or taking anything back to corporate that they needed to. So, so traditionally in a tech company, there was there would be a CTO who, in theory, would be directing the the direction and roadmap of the uh, product and, and organization. They would be usually different than the VP of engineering, which is who is yep. in charge of building it. But the CTO would be this visioning person. Often, CTOs are internally facing, or or uh, many of them are or were. But uh, this is part of a phenomenon of CTOs being externally facing because obviously they are kind of a visioning body and they are uh, they're an executive. So normally there would be a CTO and there would be a there was usually one and often there was an office of the CTO. I often see that these days. There's an office of the CTO, which is a bunch of your really kind of smart scientisty people. Uh, who are working on cool projects. Again, sometimes future demonstrations, sometimes prototyping. But now you're saying you're seeing more, as, as well as that kind of office of the CTO function, there is uh, somebody specifically called field CTO, which means they're in the field. They're not necessarily part of the office of the CTO. They're working with sales directly, um, but they still have a title of CTO. Uh, Did I get ex- that right? Yes, uh, to yeah. an extent, yeah. Uh, I think there's a little bit of a difference between Office of the CTO and the and the field CTOs. Um, I think so, yeah, 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 absolutely. There, there's certainly a, a group of um, advisory-level people that are there, that are strategic when it comes to the Office of the CTO, and they build that five- to ten-year vision of where the company's going to go. That's, that's certainly there in all the larger tech companies. But I think the use of these field CTOs, for me, it's evolving from the un- the, the inability to place the tech evangelist types. So we're starting to see more of these crop up um, as replacements for the evangelist. Cause I agree with Amy. I think it's dead at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a fun two year flash in the pan thing that, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was a thing that we all wanted. I finally got one. And then I realized, well, everybody's looking at me as the blogger still. And it's not really, but the one, the, when, when someone figures out how to, what the right thing to do with you is, it's really powerful, and that's being on the road, closing deals, and spreading the vision. So there isn't some evangelism elements to it, but you have to be under the right leadership with the right direction. Well, and I'm going to jump in and say a couple things that I've observed. Um, I think there is a massive shift in a large chunk of our industry trying to shift from a hardware sale to a software sale. So when those gears grind, you're going to have to have um, a fusion of that hoodie and suit, I think out there with you. Cause that's a complex thing to talk about. Um, I hear repeatedly these days that folks who consider themselves more technical have to get more in touch with the business. I think that's an economic reality. Um, so it may also speak to truly a wall coming down between what used to be classic marketing. You talk about TDMs, technical decision makers and BDMs, business decision makers. Um, we're not selling to the same people, not not any of us in a broad stretch. Different people have a different impact on the buying journey. And I think it's changed fundamentally the sales model. Hmm. That, that makes sense to me um, and, and would also kind of indicate why you'd want somebody called a field CTO, right? Because they're, they're engaging in, in business discussions that may have technical components. 
the other thing I'd like to point out is that, you know, is the social thing and the, the kind of, um, oh, the typical pattern of adoption of new technologies and new modalities in, in society and in companies. You know, originally, and we talked about this with maybe social media, right? Originally, there is, or, or even a webmaster, right? Originally, there's a webmaster, and the webmaster owns everything about the web. And eventually, um, you know, the, a, a web presence uh, expands into a team, and then also every part of the organization has some sort of a web presence. Uh, I think social media as a channel happened the same way in terms of with companies. And I think individual social presence that might have been super important in 2005, six, seven, eight, um, now again has spread across the org. So the, the field and the, the theory I'm coming up with here is that the field CTO is expected to have often a social presence or a, a community presence or an online presence or a, a speaking and writing presence. But that that doesn't become the defining characteristic of a field CTO. It's just something that a lot of people have. Does what, that, do you, what do you mean John? by presence? Do you mean like reputation that precedes you sort of thing? Sure, sure. Active online. Yeah, you don't well, have I'm, to have to. But and, it's, and John, I'm just jumping in here and say, like, yeah. I've been joking this just this past week that I'm going to stop calling myself influence marketing and start calling myself oxygen marketing um, because I permeate everything. And if you don't have enough of us, you've got to be high. So <laughs> well, there, there's also this thing. Analogy. There's also the element of this that whenever you, I think John, you nailed it. That whenever you introduce a new discipline into the ecosystem, like the idea of something floats around, and it starts by being personified by some expert or some new division. Uh, I also see that from a technical side, why um, infrastructure teams are introducing a DevOps engineering organization. That pains me as someone that thinks that DevOps is a culture along with tooling that needs to permeate multiple teams, but that tends to be the pattern of adoption that first it starts with a specialized function. And then once that function sets some sort of platform other people can jump on top of, you slowly get rid of that platform and turn it into just an expectation of everybody. And to Nick's point here, the evangelism aspect of this it was something that we idealized a few years ago and thought that only one person could do and we needed somebody to be that hero. But now it's permeating in different ways and the field-facing side of it is this field CTO role. That, that, yes, that is what I was saying, I think. I think um, also we should point <laughs> out that we did talk about uh, field CTOs and somebody who is known in the VMware community uh, is uh, we talked with Mike Lechen uh, in 2015. Uh, he was the first person I think I had heard of with the, with the title field CTO. So, but, so Nick, I, I'm not saying that, that a field CTO is social. I'm just saying that they have a, they are often have a, uh, impact radius, a presence Absolutely. that, that includes social. And it's just kind of assumed it's not the, the social person or the blogger. Does that, does that jive with kind of what you're, where you were coming from? If you go back and you look at the things we talked about in the beginning that made us hobbyist evangelists when we were actually TMEs, mm -hmm. they are all the things that are now your primary responsibilities as a field CTO. You have a good reputation. You're a good speaker. You blog. You present yourself externally to the company. You are call yourself the face of the company if you want to, but within a certain, like you said, impact radius, you're the Mike's the, the Nixenta guy. Right. For the while there, I was the NetApp guy. Mm -hmm, For mm -hmm. a while there, I was the Cohesity guy. 
Right. So, but it's within our impact radius. So my impact radius was the VMware and storage com- tech communities, not, you know, Wall Street customers or, you know, there were, that's where you need to send the, the real executives, right? So you're exactly right that there is a certain specific impact radius um, for these kinds of roles and honing in on that and knowing exactly where to leverage, leverage uh, them as, in the right way is, is what's key. Hmm. Now, before we move on too far, you also talked about TME, a tech marketing engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see a lot of people ending up in, in tech marketing. The tech marketing role often has also now these days has a social component. My picture is that they used to just make white papers and now they make everything. Uh, a lot of field enablement, a lot of partner enablement, a lot of customer enablement, a lot of slide decks, and, and a lot of social too, and blog posts and things like that in a lot of places. Yeah, we uh, really pissed off a lot of people that want nothing to do with Twitter. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of set this standard that you had to be social to be a good TME, and you had to write three blog posts a month, and all this other BS stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, now that's kind of the standard job description that gets sent out. Well, that, that leads us to the role of Twitter. But, hey, let's stay on TME for just a sec. I, mean, okay. I don't know. A- Amy and Matt, is that, does that, are we, are we, have we teased apart maybe what the, this role of a TME and this role of a, of a field CTO and kind of how they're different? Oh, yeah. I think they're different orders of uh, influence, right, if we stick to the impact radius metaphor of, of things. A, a TME, um, that's a role I've uh, interacted with quite a lot in, in my positions and uh, tend to be delivering something that's customer driven or has a social component to it. Um, but definitely somebody that's has their own presence is, is welcome in that space. We are not, not to reinforce this idea that everything we talk about, we've talked about before on Geek Whispers, but uh, there's an episode with Tyler Hannon, one of my favorites, uh, 94 uh, from our show, where we talk about technical marketing in depth and how TMEs fit in there. Um, okay. But it's it's really, yeah, it's another part of the rainbow of, um, you know, the exploding star that is an evangelist. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's the square rectangle problem, right? You can be a uh, you can be a rectangle. A TME can be um, social or not. But an evangelist, by definition, I think has to be. Absolutely. So- Absolutely. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, Twitter ugh, in 2017, right? So my business is is working with vendors and working with influencers, you know, quote unquote, whatever the heck that means. And so I see a couple different patterns. I see different patterns in communities that sprung up in Twitter in, in 2000, you know, 9, 10, 11, and then communities that were kind of post Twitter, more recent open source communities. I think for most technical communities, Twitter is still a great social fabric. It, 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 there might be less activity. There might be slightly fewer people. If people have tried it and they haven't gotten it, they, they've gone. I do see people who have influence in other ways, right? I do see people who are super active on, um, well, shoot, man, in the open source world, right, on GitHub or in other kind of mailing lists, uh, open source mailing lists and things like that. So there are other ways of being part of this, of a technical community, although Twitter well, it's, is it's, still pretty useful. It's changed. If I were to use an analogy from the first 10 years of my career in publishing, um, it used to be that you, uh, you got, you wrote a book, you got a review and there were three kind of key places you wanted to get reviewed. But essentially if you got a review in the New York's, uh, in the New York times, you just meant, meant your profit, right? You were done. Um, and then bloggers came along in that community and it was a distributed, um, kind of motif. I would, I would 
visualize it as like a dinosaur came and stamped in the mud puddle, right? And then it was a thousand droplets. So you had to work harder um, because it was uh, it was a lot of different spots. And I am I'm going to go on record as saying I see that transition happening now. Um, Twitter is still a great place to have a kind of universal light touch, but there are many many other spots. And Slack, the rise of Slack, has meant that you've got to work harder and differently because you have to get into, you have to get invited into the a thousand clubhouses instead of joining just one. It's like IRC in 1998. Everything old is new again. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll be the Except first one me, to say I'm it. still old. <laughs> Twitter to me is a chore now. It's cool to, I jump on once or twice a day, but most of my stuff is just programmed through buffer and it's sharing content and things like that. But if I see something cool, I'll hit share tweet done. But at this point, for me, it's as far as my career goes, it, it's completely useless to me. It is so over flooded with corporate crap that it is. It, John, you made it. A, I think it was a few episodes ago. You said something where back in the late '90s, everybody knew they needed a website. They didn't know why they needed one. They just knew that they needed one. Yeah, yeah. And now the the twenty year later version of that is everybody knows they need social media. They're not sure why, but they just know they need it. So they go get it and they buy buffer for a hundred dollars a year and fill it full of stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be a contrarian on this one because uh, as somebody that's explored a lot of different technical stacks from what I was doing when I was at EMC with storage uh, and gone to um, containers and APIs and and scheduler systems and programming languages, Twitter has still been that thing that has been the common platform. You know, Mm -hmm. while everyone has their private Slack, I do know that we all have the same Twitter and uh, connecting with people over that makes a Rolodex of people I can reach out to. And then I'm only one hop away from whatever private clubhouse uh, artisanal app we're going to use next. But uh, it, it really tends to be that steady state place I can rely on. So um, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. Actually, I think we are in violent agreement there. I think it just means that you have to take the second step. I think for people uh, who want to evangelize or people who want to take that next step, you've got to take steps one and two. You can't just do one anymore it's more hey, yeah. hey, here's a tweet and you get to get nothing off of it yeah yeah absolutely well and then yeah twitter that or sorry slack is a whole nother ball of wax yeah but we should another... talk about platforms at some point but... <laughs> it's time it's time again to talk about platforms hey so nick what are you doing these days you are uh i understand uh have your own uh, venture going on well i do it's funny how things have completely flipped around for me so the what most people don't know is the last couple of years on the side, I've been uh, building a bit of a voiceover career um, to do things like video games, animation, um, some maybe some commercials, narration. It should be pointed out, Nick, that, that you do live in L.A. So I do might, live in Los Angeles. Yeah. That's correct. Um, so I've been on the side. I've taken lessons, done workshops, all of this kind of stuff to kind of fine tune some of those skills that are required and it's it's hard it's not as easy as just walking up to a microphone it's <laughs> it's hard work guys um so th- that has been a hobby for a couple of years and it's kind of something i've always wanted to do whereas tech has always been like the job for the last 20 years and i've completely flipped all of that upside down now so i'm uh working on data center dude on the side but Right now, it is kind of the lowest priority of things uh, where I'm focusing a lot of my time and effort on uh, just doing more voiceover stuff. And, and I'll share when I actually get some stuff that I can share uh, out there. Uh, I'll share that. But a lot of it's kind of private work. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It's You just record and you send an MP3 and you're done. 
Um, but in the middle of all that, I'm sure a lot of your listeners and people that are active in our community on Twitter have seen me tweeting all about this orbital jigsaw stuff and a podcast called Concession Stand and a bunch of other stuff. Um, that's been the, that is kind of my podcast network brainchild thing that I've been wanting to build for several years now. And it's basically morphing itself into this platform of sorts that is just going to be a hosting network of a bunch of different shows of all different genres and hoping to have that completely relaunched, uh, hopefully by the end of next month. Whole new website, whole new look, right? Uh, up to ten different shows. So that's awesome. So, so yeah, voice, so voiceover work and this this kind of cool new podcast network that is really not tech related at all. It's where it's it's a it's multi genre, right? Yeah. So now you had this. You, this is an idea that you'd had for a while, mm-hmm. and um, you had the space to kind of come up with this and kind of ideate it and 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 birth it, so to say. Because you uh, you took a bit of a sabbatical. I did. I needed a minute. <laughs> so tell us about that. Kind of, you didn't jump right back into a job, uh, you know, after after the last one. So what what did you tell us about? And I don't. Not many people take sabbaticals. Usually between gigs, people are so kind of nervous and uh, frantic to find a new job that they that yep. they can't enjoy taking some time off. Well, I'm just going to point out before Nick starts that uh, we just talked to Leah Shobe about this, and uh, I'm going to bet that Nick is as lousy at taking a sabbatical as Leah is, because people in our industry seem to have a lot of hobbies. Oh, I was very good at taking a sabbatical. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I, there is one thing I am good at doing, and it's absolutely nothing when I don't have to do anything. Um, So to an extent, right? Of course, there was always the podcasting stuff, and we'll talk about that, but. Um, no, after you look real talk, guys, I got laid off or fired twice within a year. That mm. sucks. And, and, and there's no, yeah. there's no nice way to put that. There's no, and for no fault of my own in either case. You right. Know, of course, everybody, right. It, that, it's a body blow. I mean, it, you know, right. It, it, it's it, a kick to the groin, yeah. you know, twice in one year, you know, and, and it, I just needed a minute and I, I kind of just danced around for a month and wallowed and thought and. I finally just looked at myself in the mirror. I couldn't even my, I couldn't even bring myself to go on an interview. Of course, there was outreach and people were saying, "Hey, we've got this job here," and I just, I couldn't even respond to those because it just am I really gonna put myself in this position again? The old fool me once, fool me twice thing. And I just I said, you know what? I don't know if I even want to do this stuff anymore. And it was that moment where I just kind of went, "Can I pull this off?" Meaning financially, mm-hmm, can, I, mm-hmm. can I? With my current situation, living in one of the most expensive cities in the world, can I have I done well enough where I can pull this off for six months to a year? And I figured it out, and it worked. And you know, it took three to four months for me to completely just let go of tech and all of that stuff. And the the penultimate thing was I had never been on a vacation since high school, and I know I have a lot of friends and, and colleagues in the industry that have, that have not taken vacations, um, but take a vacation. Mm. Uh, I, I ended up going somewhere so remote. Uh, I went to the Caribbean, uh, for what it's worth, and I I I left my plane on airplane, my phone on airplane mode for a week straight. No social media, no texting, no phone calls, no no nothing. Very and it's nice. amazing how when you switch that off, your mind and and you allow your mind to just cool down. How kind of you start forgetting about caring about all that stuff. And you, be, your mind begins to start asking those introspective questions again. Mm-hmm. And it does take a while, right? It takes a couple yeah. of days, even just to like uh, remember you're not at work, and then it takes a couple more weeks to kind of shed shed layers of stuff. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and that I think is hard for most people in uh, in an industry uh, with a with a kind of a careery sort of job is to take that much time off. Um, but you recommend it, I'd say. I, I take it. Absolutely. And I'm, I'll call him out because he made it public yesterday, but uh, Jason Nash is doing the same thing. Oh, here's the other thing. Sorry, Jason, if you didn't want me to call it out, but I, I think it's awesome that you're doing that. And please call me if you want to talk. The, the post that I wrote uh, back in December, I, I, I was merely writing up just here's why you should take a sabbatical. Here's how it kind of changed things for me and went through this whole thing. I, I never expected the the response that that got. Hmm. What, what kind of response? Um, I got I got phone calls and emails and DMs and all of this kind of stuff about oh my god I can't believe you, you I'm that's so you're so talking to me I've never had a vacation I've never had a chance to take time off you know this is so inspiring thank hmm. you I, I'm, I'm sitting here going wow really I'm just I'm complaining about how I just got canned and I don't know what I want to do with my life I'm, I'm a forty year old man that refuses to grow up in a sense but. And you were, um, and you were inspiring people by taking time off, I guess. So I mean, is that cool? Can I get paid for that? Can I get paid to sit around and play video games and not have any responsibilities? Well, you need to write your eat, pray, love book now. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the secret. Voiceover Caribbean and what? What's the third yeah. one? Podcast. Well, yeah. Podcast. Caribbean go. voice podcast. Yes. Now, if I could well, put them all together and do build a small studio in the Caribbean to do podcasting and voiceovers. Mm. Hey, hey, <laughs> part of part of my extended network, uh, one of the podcast people I work with uh, is part of the year. Uh, yeah, out of Latin America as well. So it can, it can be done. Hey, so, um, well, where do we want to take this? I mean, I think there's a couple of things here, uh, Amy and Matt. I mean, we can the, the, the sabbatical thing is super interesting. Also, you know, I think people, we are in an interesting time in the industry. We've talked about this before. Uh, you know, people get laid off uh, through no fault of one's own. So, I mean, there's always this kind of uh, uh, mantra that we've had here at the Geek Whispers of, you know, always be developing new skills, always be kind of, you know, kind of in a... Amy, what's it called? Uh, when I, you you have kids in sports. What's it called when you're in a ready position, when you're like on the balls of your feet? Is it Right, it athletic stance. It absolutely has a name. Okay, athletic stance. You always kind of have to be in athletic sta- stance in case you have to zip right or left, right? Yeah, and and I I would love to hear Nick because you say you know turn your phone off, but I would love to hear some just practical tips of how to make the most of a sabbatical. Like take us through. Um, oh man, that what, you what would, I would what learned. I would do different. Oh man, there's. Well, I'm there's not a... even there yet. Don't blow my question. <laughs> oh man, there are so many things that I wish it's hindsight's twenty twenty for everything. So there are so many things I wish. I would have known going into July of last summer when every, when all of it first went down and I would have just hit the ground running instead of taking nine months to really get that ball going. Right. I don't and think so, one can run into a sabbatical though. That <laughs> seems to violate the principle. Um, you need some what space, I, yeah. What I would say to anybody that goes through the situation where they get riffed, laid off, fired, whatever the situation may be, take at least a month. Don't go don't go full survival instinct and run straight to the first couple of offers that come in your door because there will be offers there that that's one of the other things um you'll you may make the wrong choice for the wrong reasons um but take take a month take two months take three if you can because it's like divorce advice it's very similar right don't don't marry the next person exactly yeah um get over your girlfriend before you go find another girlfriend (laughs) um exactly so the that's the first piece of advice. The second piece I would say is um, give yourself permission. 
And that was one of the hardest things that I had to do was I had to look myself in the mirror and say, this is okay. This, you know, what's the house on fire joke? This is fine. Uh, As soon as you get fired, the house goes on fire. You're scrambling. You're like, oh my God, what am I going to do for money? How am I going to eat? Will the roof cave in? I don't know. That's kind of the typical knee jerk reaction. But just take a deep breath and say, this is fine. This is okay. And honestly, the word sabbatical is such a lovely word. It really is. And I like the idea of honoring that because Mm -hmm. that's a choice. It doesn't matter if the choice was foisted upon you, but saying I'm on sabbatical is owning it and making a choice. So forget what happened to land you at that place. Too few of us have made an active choice to do that and honored it. Yep. No, I mean, it was, it would have been very easy to turn around within a month and walk straight into another well-paying evangelist TME kind of role, solutions architect kind of role, but I, I couldn't do that. A gender flip here, uh, you know, I've talked about it before, but for me, it's a bit of a forced sabbatical in some ways to to go on maternity leave. Yeah. Um, and I absolutely, you know, women may throw stones at me for this because you're certainly doing a whole nother job, but it does help you change your priorities. So it, ironically, I think women in the industry may get, um, we may fall behind because we are asked to take three months off, you know, um, but for good reasons. But I think if you use the time wisely, I was fortunate enough to kind of have that mental shift to to come back with a new attitude. And I really, I try to lead from that perspective and tell people, figure out what you're going to put down. I was lucky to have a boss that told me, don't pick, put something down during your maternity leave that you don't pick back up when you come back. Oh, that's good advice. I like that. Um, no, but I, I just... Part of me wants to say, just again, give yourself permission. Let yourself sit around and eat Doritos and play video games for two or three months. Do yeah. a, build a shed in the backyard, work in the garden, do something that just does not require your phone to be in your hand. And, uh, I, and I guess I've been quieter because I'm my mind's still a little blown at the idea of not going on vacation at all. I, I will say that um, it's not always easy, but I luckily found a partner that her and I are all about get the hell out of not just our city, not just work, but our country as frequently as we can and go see somewhere else. Go somewhere else. I'm envious of your taco tour. I'm not going to lie about that, Matt. We (laughs) did a taco tour in Mexico. Unofficial. It turned into that being more of a priority than I meant up front and it was worth it. It was so damn good. So was this a separate vacation or part of your honeymoon uh, (laughs) No, that was a separate vacation this year. We actually were thinking like we wouldn't have time to do a vacation because of the honeymoon last year. Um, and we just said, that's insane. Like we'll find the money, uh, and we need to prioritize vacation because it's, it's a centering exercise and it's a connecting exercise with yourself and with your partner. And, um, I, I just can't emphasize enough. Like everyone can afford to take a week off. You are, your job is not that important that you can't take a week off. So please give yourself at least permission to do that as well. Since, just to since echo we're talking what you're about, saying. Yeah. Since we're talking about evangelism, let me say amen to that. Um, <laughs> preach <laughs> yeah i think um I, I one of the notes that i put at the end of that blog post i was referring to earlier was there were kind of five big bullet points there but one of them was take a break uh, it doesn't have to be six months but at least take a couple of weeks off a couple of times a year this is what this is meaning while you're employed i mean the job the company the people they'll all still be, will still be there if they aren't they weren't there in the first place maroon yourself somewhere whether it's an island or in the wilderness or just somewhere that doesn't have cell signal with your best friend or a loved one it's it's literally the most rewarding soul searching you'll never know that you needed to do. And it's that to me, that is I am gonna go twice a year now somewhere. 
it doesn't involve particularly family. It doesn't involve some uh, um, friends or anything like that or te- industry work stuff. Uh, just a separate break. Too many of our colleagues do not use vacation mm-hmm. time uh, at all. And that is what has led to what we now know as these company shutdowns uh, that happened because all that vacation yep. time accrued yep. and sat on the books and they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah, mandatory vacation over well over Christmas. It's kind of civilized. I like it, but I, I see how we got there. And these, um, yeah, these unlimited vacation times that then people don't actually take at exactly. all, too, which is and, and having both. I have to say, I love a good shutdown. I remember the first time it happened, I was like, "This is just economic policy," but the sweet, sweet absence of any email incoming. <laughs> it is nice. It yeah. is really nice. You go back the the week after, and it, your inbox is empty. It's awesome. Hey, Amy, any other questions for our guest, Nick? So, Nick, you know what's coming, um, but I have to ask the most broad-reaching question. Um, if if you had a do-over, a magic, a magic time-turner, um, what would you counsel somebody? Never, ever, ever do this again. It's just not worth it. <laughs> I love that people know it's coming, and still that's their I reaction. had completely forgot that you do this. Honestly, just every show, no big deal. <laughs> I know, and I do listen to everyone. Um, that's that makes it even worse, I guess. Um, follow your gut. It, I think is I think too many people never don't do trust that again. Their, don't <laughs> sorry, don't trust now their I'm just gut trolling. No, 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 no. Uh, not not never do that again, but never not trust. Never go against what your gut feeling's telling you. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. Because my gut feeling was telling me about two or three years ago that I was kind of done when I really first started getting – my focus started shifting over to the voiceover stuff, and I was really getting back into doing the podcasting stuff. And the other things kind of became a distraction, but I knew I needed to do them, but I, my heart wasn't in it anymore. My gut was telling me, uh, maybe it's time. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, And it it's really speaks to your advice of if you – if at the very least take a vacation. Take some vacation and a solid amount, not 24 hours. Um, because you can't hear your gut over the clutter of all this other noise. Yep. No, it. Um, I didn't have my kind of acceptance epiphany moment. Let's see. I, my, I ended things in June last year, and I went to the Caribbean the week before Thanksgiving. That's how long it took. I didn't have my kind of I'm done moment until I was standing on a beach looking at an empty ocean. Yeah. Then, then it just hit me. Wow. Yeah, you really need that that space. And that was three or four days of no phone, no interaction, no nothing. Um, I'm not sure I could do that. Yeah, it's... I've done it. Even I've done it. I have to say the Grand Canyon, I had that moment. Because Uh, I think there's something about being in nature with something so much bigger than you, and you're like, oh, duh, I get it. (laughs) There is no other... If you can do boats in the ocean, great. If not, I understand. But there is no other Zen spot in the world than being far enough out in the ocean where you can't see land anymore. Mm. You forget about and stop caring about everything. Yeah, I, Except um, sharks. I would care yeah. about sharks, just for the record. Sharks. <laughs> and Godzilla. I left my phone. Uh, yeah, I, I left my phone at home the other day when I went to a restaurant, and that was really kind of a Zen moment for me. I got really oh. twitchy after about 10 <laughs> minutes. Anyway, hey, Nick, uh, this has actually been a fascinating discussion. We, we went uh, a lot of different places uh, talking about uh, the role of an evangelist, uh, TMEs, uh, tech marketing engineers, field CTOs, uh, and above all, taking a break. Yeah. Uh, so if people want to reach out to you to talk about some of your new ventures or uh, just to say hi, because it's been a while, what are the best places that you are still uh, answering the phone on? 
Um, well, I'm absolutely still on Twitter at data center dude. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to see the data center website transition to complete video. Okay. Uh, I've kind of got this personal feeling that written word is done. I know people are still doing it, but <laughs> I kind of want to lead the charge again. And, you know, I did with the podcasting thing back then, but I, I, I think it's time to move to video. I think it's time to hone those presentation skills. And so I've awesome. built a backdrop and you're going to see me doing a lot of that. So you'll see those transitions happen. Um, orbitaljigsaw.com is getting a big overhaul right now. You're going to see a lot of podcasts uh, show up there by the probably by the end of the year um, as we work on all that stuff. But, yeah, just uh, Twitter is probably still the best place. Great. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for, for joining us, and I wish you all the best. I'm looking very much forward to both of those projects because I, I, I have a kind of a personal and professional interest. So Oh, awesome. we'll talk about that off. The, off. <laughs> Let's awesome. take that offline. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, once again, this has been another episode of the Geek Whispers. Um, go over to geek-whispers.com for all the show notes, etc., and we'll just play the music now. You've been listening to the Geek Whisperers podcast. Tune in on iTunes or Stitcher for regular stories of technology careers, cultures, and lives. Share it with a friend or invite us to an event through our website, geek-whispers.com. Find us on Twitter at geek underscore whispers or at jtroyer, mjbrender, and comsninja. Thanks for listening and see you next time.